Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye of the Duck early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation. And 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY. Get you, Barbara. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. They're coming for you, Barbara. This is a great big 14-mile tombstone! I'm Adam Vollerich. And I'm Dom Nero. And this is a podcast about movies and the scenes that make them special. What David Lynch calls Eye of the Duck scenes. An Eye of the Duck is a moment or sequence in a film that defines the whole. Lynch says when you're studying a duck, you can look at its bill, its feet, its feathers. But if you really want to get to know a duck, you have to look at its eye. Each week on our podcast, we explore a movie by finding the scene at its core. Listeners of the faint of heart, you have been warned. Today and throughout the months of October and November, the dead will rise. Yes, this miniseries is devoted to the films of George A. Romero's Of the Dead series, including all six movies and some very special bonuses. As always, beware, you are entering spoiler territory. Welcome to Eye of the Duck, Fall of the Dead. Enough of the Dead. Enough of the Dead. Welcome to Eye of the Duck. Enough of the Dead. Very good. We've reached the end. The dead are dead. Uh, or they're alive. Or they're dead again. <laughs> of course, some of these dead can remain dead. Um, others, once they come to life, are very hard to put back into their grave. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that we have seen a zombie in this series, though, that can come back to life after being uh, killed again. Have we? No, I don't think so. Now, that I would think, be something. 
I think the closest you get to like a zombie that gets killed twice is one that is killed the first time off screen and they don't fully do it. Um, I'm mm. referring to, of course, the the priest zombie from Land of the Dead, which uh, oh. it, it shows up kind of semi-beheaded with, uh, with just like a tendon connecting the head to the body. And, uh, you know, the, the, it swings its head forward. Like it's a, a mace. Oh, it's great. You know? Yes. So good. Yeah. So I would say that they, that one was almost fully beheaded and therefore was kind of killed, but not quite. And then they killed it again. Man, we've seen a lot of, a lot of good kills this series. We've seen a lot of dead people, uh, in the past, let's see, what's, has it been eight episodes? Nine. Wow. Yeah. So Six past, Romero films and three, and three bonuses. bonuses. Yeah. We've been looking through the Romero zombie series. Um, all of the, of the dead movies, including one living dead movie, uh, directed and written by Dan O'Bannon. And we also looked at, uh, Shaun of the dead and, uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the dead. And I will say to anyone complaining, we did briefly consider doing the uh, the Tom Savini Romero sanctioned remake of Night of the Living Dead as one of these bonuses. Um, but I have never been more certain of a film that um, none of you have watched or would watch. Um, so we did not cover it. <laughs> that does seem like one of the big blind spots of this series. Uh, I wonder if we will ever return to these dead movies. I could definitely see us doing a another, you know, another zombie series here. I think there's yeah. there's a lot of fertile ground left uh for us to explore, you know. It's it's great to do sort of like all of Romero's directorial, you know, zombie efforts at once, but you know, he starts a genre. There's there's plenty plenty more films left that we could easily assemble a, you know, a, we could return to The Fall of the Dead. Uh, you know, we could do a, a whole a whole other series with another great lineup and 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 pepper in that you know that Romero sanctioned remake as a uh, a little throwback. You know, that's true. Perhaps we could call it Return of the Fall of the Dead. Yeah, or we could go maybe even like Rise of the Fall of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Very confusing. I'm surprised there is not a Rise of the Dead. Uh, movie in this series there probably is a movie called rise of the dead i'm sure it, there pretty is pretty much done let's done everything, let's, let's, let's let's uh let's let's do it i know it exists i don't even have to i, I know it's there going to imdb rise of the dead rise. Uh, of course there's rise of the guardians by our man Zack snyder <laughs> which maybe we should have done there yes 2007 rise of the dead uh written by uh jeff crook josh crook and Chris Scotto, and directed by William Wedding. Uh, in the sleepy small town of Dudley, Ohio, a terrifying future awaits. Laura Childs is under attack by the undead, and not even those closest to her can save her from the evil forces at hand. Wow. There's also uh, 
at least one or two Rise of the Dead video games. Mm-hmm. If there's anything I've learned in this series, and 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 for first time listeners, this is our outro episode for our mini series, so it's a little bit different than what we normally do. It's sort of like Eye of the Duck After Hours, <laughs> um, not to be confused with the After Hours episode that we recorded, which I do still think is one of our best. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, we're gonna be just sort of you know, off the cuff here, uh, shooting the shit about this series, <laughs> what we learned, the deaths that we witnessed, uh, the undead that we got to know. And then, uh, at the end of this episode, we will be introducing you to our next very spooky mini series. <laughs> you guys are going to be terrified to hear what's coming next for eye of the duck. But, I uh, if I will, uh, what I wanted to say, um, in regards to the rise of the dead is if there is one thing I've learned about zombie invasion movies, it's that every single one of them and every single idea you could ever possibly imagine already exists. That is true. There has been so much fucking zombie media and I have to assume it's partially number one because night of the living dead and the copyright snafu that led to that just being free reign for the entire world forever. And also the fact that, uh, zombies are just like the easiest effect to pull off. All you need is like a guy in a blazer, like stumbling (laughs) around. That's really all you need. And, uh, so make your zombie movie. Everyone should have one. I, I wish I had one. I'm surprised. I, I, I technically one. have have two. Yeah, uh, they are they are stop motion animated that Lego counts. movies, but they are zombie films. That definitely counts. Yeah, I think the first thing we should address here is sort of the Siskel and Ebert uh, cliffhanger we left our <laughs> our viewers on or our listeners on last week. Yeah, we very closely got into our final form, which is Adam and I just completely becoming Siskel and Ebert. Just uh, just loathing each other on air, <laughs> trying to ridicule each other and make each other's opinions uh, sound like foolish uh, opinions of children. I mean, I just want to say I've thought a lot over the past week, and uh, oh my god, I have. Uh, I will not back down in my opinion. My opinion being that Return of the Living Dead has really very little to do with uh, with the American societal collapse that George Romero is getting at. And that is all just about the fun and, and sexiness of death. And And I think that is completely fucking absurd. (laughs) I think that is, I think that is nonsense. Well, the movie is trying to to tell me, trying to tell me that Dan O'Bannon, the guy that Mm -hmm. wrote alien, trying Mm -hmm. to tell me that that guy decided to do this film and re and write it from the ground up. Purely because he wanted to have a good time with death. I think that is... Uh, I mean, that's a good point. That is horse shit, my friend. I think that you must concede, though, that there is definitely less of an in, of an emphasis on that stuff in this film. Uh, I would say that perhaps because we are so used to the um, unsubtle like flag waving of George A. Romero. Yes. That maybe you've lost sight of the fact that uh, other filmmakers uh, do often convey subtlety in subtext. And, uh, and And perhaps it is because of that that you failed to see what was there all along. It's an interesting point. Uh, 
subtlety. Maybe I've forgotten all about it. <laughs> Which would be an easy thing to do after uh, studying Romero for uh, for six weeks. Or maybe you have been so thoroughly Romero-pilled that any tiny mention of just the mere idea of the United States of America <laughs> just completely Romero's the entire reading of the film. It's entirely possible. Uh, I I would not uh, I would not deny that. Is this is this what you want, listeners? Is this what you want from us? <laughs> to see us fall apart? Is this? Is, does anyone like this? <laughs> I often wonder what our listeners want from us, Adam. I I have no clue. Um, I I I study the analytics, and I'm like, you like that? That's what you want <laughs> more of. And then I look at other things, and I'm like worked so hard on that and it was such an interesting uh, you know detailed discussion and exploration and you just left it out you didn't care no one, <laughs> no one listened to this i mean so I, 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 and, and it, and it, and it always seems completely random to me i have no idea what people will respond to um unless we get emails about it and thank you for those of you that write in we do appreciate it um that's the only the only time I get direct feedback, and then of course, yes. friend of the show Nick Long, who um, will often uh, live text us while listening to the episodes yes, mercilessly. Um, plenty of feedback there. <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, I I will give you this, Adam. I I you know it goes without saying I respect your opinion and referring to your referring to your scene as a side quest perhaps was too far into the uh siskel and evert uh <laughs> way of 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 uh partner criticism mm-hmm. um although i i know in my heart that i am right and that there's nothing you could it's say fine. to change I, my I mind i know in my heart that i'm right and i and i also <laughs> know that for the rest of the time that we do this podcast i will always be more right than you because of your scene from the thing 2011 i'll just i'll That's just fair. never be i'll never be less right than than you Perhaps one day we will revisit some old, uh, some movies we have already done and we will have a chance to remedy some old, uh, some old grudges that still have not been, <laughs> been lost on this show. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. <laughs> let's see, why don't we just get right into it? Let's, let's go, uh, let's spend a little bit of time with each of the movies that we visited throughout our tour of, of the graveyards of the dead, all these yeah. very good cemeteries, um, <laughs> starting with, uh, there, there have been some good cemeteries you have to admit. Absolutely. I'm, I'm loved all the, uh, all the cemeteries we, we've, we've got to hang out at. Uh, I love any cemetery really. Um, I, I mean, I, I actually do when I lived. No, uh, I, yeah, me too. I'm not joking. I used to live close to Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, which is just a gorgeous place to hang out. That is like the best cemetery. Like, it's just it's so nice. Unbelievable. I would go there, me and my wife, we would, we loved going there. And whenever we would tell people who don't live like in New York or maybe even in Brooklyn, we would always get strange looks like, what, who were you going there to see? No, oh, we're just going to wander around. <laughs> so you guys just like go and wander around gravestones. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's it's really nice. There's a pond. That's nice. It's true. And like the mausoleums are like incredible. The the, the gravestones are incredible. Um it uh it's it's just like it it's one of those things where like it makes death feel uh really kind of beautiful. Um mm-hmm. and which is it's, nice. It's nice to it's nice to be there. And also like the 
the grounds are just like so well like manicured as well. Like it's just like it's it's, it's like it's being in a park, you know. Remember when I was a kid, we used to sled at a cemetery. Well, that's that just fucking this, disrespectful. <laughs> it had this really good steep hill. Um, I mean, that was mainly where like the rich kids used to go because it was towards the rich part of town. And sometimes I would go over there and sled with them. And it was fun, but there was always this weird feeling of like you're sledding over actual graves. And mm. still, I'm I'm very surprised that we that like they allowed that to happen. But also at the same time, I always think that like, if I die, like you please like sled on my grave. That sounds great. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Children like having, we're going to do a remake of I spit on your grave called I sled <laughs> on your grave. <laughs> Bringing joy to children. What could be better? It's a circle of life. I, I feel like, um, I mean, I, I, I would, I want to be, cremated because as much as i love cemeteries and think they're amazing i actually think they're um sort of like a, an environmental and you know mm. housing catastrophe and um we shouldn't that's true we shouldn't have them anymore um but uh i would like to be cremated uh or barring that i would like to be um like uh embalmed and stuffed and posed oh. in some kind of uh position and used to to terrify children actually oh um, that's very nice i think that would I'm be sure really they would fun. love that yeah, yeah i think that'd be great you could I be like a, be a scarecrow yeah kind of kind of like that a scare child uh, yeah except you're scaring children right yeah where would where would we put your urn and in, in your inevitable demise See, I've actually thought this like a few steps further. So what what I would really like is uh, I want to be cremated. I don't want to be put in an urn. Um, oh. there's, a, there's a service where you can have someone's ashes um, compressed into a diamond or a, you know a CZ essentially. Oh, um, wow. So I would like uh, I would like my wife to uh, you know I, she's going to outlive me. Um, I would like my <laughs> wife to um, uh, you know wear that diamond or, or or you know hang on to it in some in some way and then um when she uh, passes i would like the same treatment to be applied to her and then i would like our uh, uh both of those diamonds uh to then be shot into space oh and then if you collect all of those stones <laughs> put them on your glove <laughs> the yes. full rich full power yeah <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my plan for the afterlife. The infinity Adam. Mm-hmm. Um that's actually quite beautiful. Thank you. I now I thought you were saying you were going to say that all of those ashes, your entire remains would be compressed into some sort of like disc. Like a uh, <laughs> like a Blu-ray. Like a PSP UMD, a UMD. disc. <laughs> that I could then put insert into my uh, computer and continue mm. to host the podcast with sort of as like a, uh, a haunted, like uh, like a simulated Adam holocron or something. I'm into that. That'd be fun. Um, I think it'd be fun to be a, to be a, an AI. I wonder if anyone's been, their ashes have been uh, compressed into disc form. I actually like that idea. Maybe I'll be a disc. <laughs> Is it possible? I have I mean, no idea. It's like, I mean, what are discs made out of? <laughs> I mean, if you can be compressed into a diamond, I'm sure you can be compressed well, into a disc. Well, it's because diamonds are made of compressed carbon. Like, that's why the the, uh, the sort of like the state of matter from, you know, ashes, ashes are carbon. So it's like you, you know, you, you can compress that and it becomes a... Or you, or you, you pressurize it. I believe I'm, I'm not quite sure of the process, but I know that this is a service that exists. Um, 
Ashes to ashes, dust to disc. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> I think we're supposed to be talking about these films. This really right. is Eye of the Duck after, after hours. Well, that's um, what people expect on these episodes. If you say so. <laughs> Where do we begin? Night of um, the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, 1968. The first George A. Romero film. George um, Andrew Romero. Is that what the A stands for? Mm-hmm. Nice. Let's let's double check that. <laughs> and you know, uh, John Russo is also John. He's also a. Russo. John A. Russo. Yeah, beautiful. A couple of A's over here. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yes, George Andrew Romero. Nice. Godfather of the Dead. I love that. Yeah, it's a great title. Uh, well yes. earned. I see you wearing these these big thick frame glasses. I have soon. glasses that that are not super far off from that yeah we need to get them a little bit thicker <laughs> get you to that point romero is a huge man i don't oh, know how he much, is, really I, I don't know how much uh behind the scenes stuff you've watched but like he's just a gigantic person he's extremely tall and extremely broad um and like in the i didn't in, know that in, wow, in, yeah. in these like first films like in the 60s 70s and 80s when you like looking at like behind the scenes like He's like really built and has like huge beard and like, you know, big hair. And he's just such this like imposing presence. And then when he gets older and he's, you know, getting sicker, like he, you know, he's the same frame, but also <laughs> an old man. And it's so jarring, like, especially if you're looking at the the behind the scenes for like diary and survival, it's like, it, it just like, it doesn't compute. It's wild. I sometimes think that that is part of what makes a successful director is just a person being gigantic. <laughs> Cause you see that like footage of Francis Ford Coppola directing apocalypse now. And he's just oh, like yeah. a he's big humongous. dude. Yeah. He's just like a very imposing big dude who I'm sure just instantly commands a lot of respect on set and mm-hmm. like intimidation. And for an era of, you know, filmmaking where that was like all you needed to do to succeed is just like intimidate people. I wonder if just like being big helped. And I'm thinking about how can I get bigger? You know, like how can I (laughs) not only like in my chest and my arms, like how can I get taller? Like how can you're already over six feet tall. (laughs) You're not a small guy, but how can I, you know, I want to be, I want to loom over people and, and, Instill fear in them, just you, in my presence. You do, well, I don't know about instilling fear, but you are a <laughs> bit of a, a lanky loomer. I I don't think great directors are lanky, though. They are they're they're def, they're defiantly large. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Romero was six four and a half, oh, according to celebheights.com. <laughs> this. Really is I the duck after hours. You're right. Truly. Here we are on celebheights.com. Okay. Let's talk about these films. Um, so Night of the Living Dead, 1968, starts the starts the whole thing off. Um, I think, you know, when it comes time to to talk about, you know, what is our scene for the series, like I have a sense of where we're both gonna end up, and I have a sense it might come from here. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, it's a, it's, you know, amazing the way that he, he right off the bat, he starts off with the, you know, taking this sort of, this construct of the, of the undead that, and, and giving them the, 
giving them the flesh eating and removing any other kind of sentience from them and he and uses this and and to create images that sort of uh begin to to tell the story of america yeah and i think it is one of the like uh formative moments in modern horror meaning Agreed. like uh i mean you know modern horror meaning anything post like the old timey like universal monsters era right mm-hmm. um at this point uh 68 horror is definitely becoming what it is today and you know we're getting movies like rosemary's baby like right around the corner and mm-hmm. the exorcist yeah this is one of the foundational moments and yeah. i'm so glad that we you know finally got to talk about it on the show i'm glad i finally watched it i don't yeah. know why it's taken me this long because it's very hard to like call yourself like a lover of movies and a lover of horror specifically if you haven't like sat and experienced night of the living dead it it, after watching it it's like wow like so much of what we see today could simply not exist without this film and uh also what romero kind of kind of shows, you know, the, the capability of independent cinema too, I think is another it's thing. True. That- it's true. It's, it's amazing to, to look at him, not just as Romero, not just as the person that invents zombies, but just like as a sort of, you know, as an independent filmmaker, you know, yeah. with, with the well, exception of, of Land of the Dead, like these really are all just like sort of varying scales of, of independent film. And it's kind of crazy to think. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see what he what he's able to do uh, in these situations, the way he's able to get these films made. And I mean, to me, it's very, very inspiring. You know, Um, yes, I I come away from this series really thinking like, man, like maybe there is actually a way to um, create valuable art under capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny because that's on your own terms. So much of what Romero is is working on throughout this entire series is the opposite of that. And it, you know, is showing us how hard it is to live Mm -hmm. under this system. And yet, yeah, he is creating movies outside of a system that has been so oppressive for so many years and just his insistence on doing it his own way. It all starts here in Night of the Living Dead yeah it's just it's one of these movies that really feels like what are you waiting for like why haven't you just picked up a camera and went to a house with your friends and made night of the living dead like what there's nothing (laughs) why haven't you you? made one of the greatest american films ever (laughs) i know but it has that that double thing right like it it has that quality of like what do you need like just a a few dudes in blazers like (laughs) moping around what else do you need? Like you, just, you can go to a butcher, a butcher, and pick up some pig intestines. Like it, it, it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> That's it. That's all you need. Pig guts. So then we uh, we moved on to Dawn of the Dead, nineteen seventy eight, and we discussed it with the uh, the wonderful Elena and Ash from from Morbid, um, the shopping mall man, yeah. Dario Argento. It seems like Night of the Living Dead 
is sort of a miracle that it exists and it is as good and, you know, as spectacular as it is. And a lot of, I think what we love about that movie seems to have happened, you know, just because everything was in the right place at the right time. It Mm -hmm. struck at that very pivotal moment in American history with everything that was going on with civil rights in Vietnam and everything. But then that's one of the remarkable things about this series. Now looking back is as it, plows ahead uh you can't just remake night of the living dead over and over as much as like so many modern day zombie like media is trying to prove like and, and, and you he know, proves like, right away that like this is not a single use concept like we're not yeah we're not, we're not back in jurassic park territory like he he's right. like immediately with this sequel is like it's it's different now you you have to agree that like so much of the media that we seem that we see today is is very samey it's very much like oh yeah and then the zombie apocalypse happens to this group of people and then the zombie apocalypse apocalypse happens to this group of people yes you know in this house in that house in this house and just the the you know this motion for romero to just be like we made Night of the Living Dead. Like that story is told. We don't need another story about just like a group of people in a house, you know, dealing with this. Let's yeah. see what happens next. And he blows it up into this way, way bigger thing. Yeah. It's a really bold thing to do. Um, I just, I, and I, I love the, the, the way that he he makes it about this place, you know, which this is a, an emerging location in the American like consciousness. And, and he's looking at it and he's saying like, this place, this place makes zombies of us all, you know, like this, yeah. this place, like it brings out our worst, our worst elements. And it, uh, it creates this, you know, uh, this, this fake, you know, imitation of life. And that's all you'll have if you, if you engage with this. Which is not present at all in Night of the Living Dead. No, it's I mean, a completely Night of the new Dead, idea. Yeah, that, that movie is so minimal, is so down to earth, is so like on its feet. Like we, uh, like we have to get out of here. We have to protect ourselves, you know, bare minimum. We, we just need the basics of human survival. And then to bring this series into this other place and all of a sudden it blows up and becomes about you know, this scathing criticism of capitalism is really strange. It's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I just love the, and as we'll see, as we continue to go down this list, like each movie becomes a new, like hard left, you know, he, he, he advances and, uh, and modifies the concept every time. And, you know, never, uh, never really looks back. Like he just keeps looking forward. Like, what can I, what can I do now? What's happening in the world now? And like, how can I use my, my, my creatures to, uh, to help, help tell a story about that? Yeah. And it reminds us that horror, you know, as a genre has always been about things. Like it's Mm -hmm. the best horror that we remember is about something. It's not just like a spooky slasher killing people. The best horror always has some other meaning. And so why shouldn't a series about zombies like have that? Yeah. And, you know, later we'll talk about uh, our experience with Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead and like the shortcomings of like, what else is going on here? And I think that's what makes Romero's movies so, you know, 
significant is that he is keeping in mind like the best horror movies talk about you know the horrors of real life yeah i i agree and i think uh i think he he takes that to almost like it's uh you know he 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 comes close to its logical conclusion in in day of the dead uh yes. you know in in 1985 and you know he introduces us to bub and and he shows us the ways that uh you know our quest for uh survival in a vacuum um and survival only uh you know it it leads to the dissolution of our of of what made us human in the first place leads to the dissolution of community and trust and love and uh and and all and you you find yourself in a situation where the uh the thing we once saw as the imitation of life uh is far more human than than what we are doing yeah um, for people who haven't seen it, so uh, Romero describes, I mentioned this in the episode too, he describes like how there are Night of the Living Dead fans who are like the purists, and then Dawn of the Dead fans who are like the party people, you know, the mall rats, the people who like love the action. And and then he the he says the fans of Day of the Dead are like the trolls, <laughs> like the people who like live in caves and love this like underground dingy movie. <laughs> And, uh, I would definitely consider myself in that, in that camp. I think day of the dead for some reason really stuck out to me, a huge favorite, I think of, of this mini series that, that we're, that we just did. Uh, it all takes place in this bunker. There is like very little real underground bunker. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, everyone's getting sick down there, right? <laughs> There's like it's, this huge, like black lake. <laughs> yeah. An endless infinite black void lake that they can't like see into or, or, or across. It's the whole thing sounds, sounds just truly terrifying. Yeah. Um, it feels as though you're watching it and you're like, this movie is really a lot like the thing or alien. And then you read about the production. You're like, this production was really a lot like the thing or alien. <laughs> It's really a grueling movie to endure. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's very disgusting. It's very dour and depressing and disappointing and and miserable. And it's so like it's fu- and and the zombie the zombie effects. No, um, I mean, yeah, it's tremendous. It's, it's when I mean, they it's, it's I Savini's think, masterpiece. Yeah, they hit that stride. It's the perfect. Uh, it's a perfect intersection of, of where the industry had gotten to and, and, you know, what Savini is trying to create. Like, I just mm-hmm. think like that year specifically, the zombies just look so fucking perfect. I, I agree. Right. When you get past that hump is when the industry gets a little bit further and digital effects start coming out and, then like you lose like that gnarliness and mm-hmm. like the jaw like hanging off and the hair and oh, that stuff is so fucking good. It's awesome. It, it, I think it's also, uh, it's the most uh, sort of like visually uh, compelling of these three films. I would like, agree. Yeah. Like the first two like have a, have, have a look to them and they, and they do look great. And Night of the Living Dead in particular, I think is just like this, incredible stark you know imagery that that works so well and is so necessary um dawn you know you can a good looking movie and especially you know the the second sight 4k restoration is like you know just so gorgeous but the film looks like 
it was made through necessity. You know, the the look of the yeah. film was designed by what they yeah. had to do. Yeah. When you when you finally get to Day of the Dead, like he's you know he and and the DP of it's uh, Michael Gornick on those two films. Uh, they just they're like fully in sync and they're in sync with Savini and like yeah, every, they hit their stride. Yeah, they're they're all you know finally sort of like working as like a perfect like well oiled machine and uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing film. The only thing that I have been uh, I, I've just been thinking about lately with these three films is they're not really a trilogy. Like there's no real like thematic like closure in day of the dead. No. And I think that had day of the dead been a success, then maybe he would have done, you know, his follow up to that sooner, but yeah, it really, uh, it tanks, it tanks, the, it tanks the series and it tanks him. I, I would have loved to see like, if there was going to be a fourth, if that was going to be like some sort of like final statement, because I think then there's this 20 year gap between this film and land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And by the time he comes back, I think he has different intentions. He's, he's into, you know, he kind of restarts it. He's, it's, he's not like, it's not as if he's coming back and, and doing the sequel to, to uh day of the dead. Although these first three films aren't really sequels to each other at all. They just happen to take place in the same world. Yeah. So at the, the sort of the, the end of this three movie arc, uh, we 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 took a pause on Romero and we went into to bonus territory and we talked about uh, Shaun of the Dead, directed by by Edgar Wright and written by uh, Wright and and Simon Pegg uh, from uh, two thousand and four. Um, the uh, the most Romero of our three bonuses, <laughs> maybe the most Romero movie of this whole miniseries. <laughs> it's, it's just such a tribute to him. Yes. In the best way. It's so well done. Uh, the way that, um, that Wright and Peg look at sort of like their own lives and they look at the zombie genre and they look at Romero in particular and, and they sort of ask themselves like, how did Romero make the film? And not just like, how did he re- like, like produce the film, but how did he conceive of yeah. this film? What made it, what made these films like cool and interesting and worth, you know, uh, exploring and why do we love them? And through that love managed to like craft their own perfect Romero movie. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable how they were able to so successfully pull that off and do so in a way where like you can watch zero Romero movies and still totally get it. A hundred percent. I mean, that also goes to show how, uh, influential Romero's movies have been that I watched Shaun of the Dead without seeing any of the Romero movies and fucking loved it because everybody knows about the zombies. Like everybody knows. Right. It's just a part of life now. Uh, (laughs) And this film has aged like so gracefully, Mm -hmm. like with uh, almost no exceptions. It's just. There's one pretty major exception in like a a line of dialogue or two that, uh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe we don't love, but, um, but other than that, yeah. It's just a, a real good piece of work and a fantastic directorial debut from Edgar Wright and still easily one of his best movies. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's so good. I'll also say that um, after we did that episode, I immediately, you know, we were talking with um, with Mia Vicino, who was great to, to chat with. Uh, I I really had like a hankering to rewatch Space. 
And so yeah. <laughs> I went to to look and see where I could watch it. And the only place I could watch it was on Freevee TV, which is Amazon's ad supported um, you know, programming. And uh the transfer was so bad and the ads were so ah. annoying that I ended up picking up the uh the box set collection of the of the whole series. Um and I gotta say, it is a great box set. It's got like amazing artwork, it's got a great like, you know, booklet with like a letter to to you, the the viewer from from Peg and Wright and oh, cool. uh, and uh, and from uh, Jessica Hines and uh, the transfers look good. They're not amazing, but they look good. And there's like commentaries from from the the creative team, but then also commentaries from like people that loved the show. Um, so you've got like Apatow and Kevin Smith, and I think there's a Tarantino one. Um, all these people making contributions to the to the thing, and there's a great feature length documentary about about Spaced as well. So, um, if you oh, are a Space yeah. uh, fan, or if you're looking to watch it for the first time, I would say it's a it's a great buy. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed revisiting that show. It's big time on my list. I'll you borrow a box. <laughs> all right, and then we went to. Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead from 2004. Yes, Snyder and Gunn, who both of whom now have been architects <laughs> of Warner Brothers DC Universe. What a They're strange trying. what a strange thing that, you know, Snyder once was in charge of the the DCEU and now Gunn uh, is in charge of the what they're calling the DCU. Uh unbelievable that they sort of both break out with this movie. <laughs> So Snyder has no, he, he's completely out of DC superhero. He, he is forced out even after the, the whole Snyder cut madness. I, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess with management changing, like it could go either way, but I would assume yeah, he is done true. at Warner Brothers. Very bizarre. Um, and this is a very bizarre movie, I think. Unlike Shaun of the Dead, it has not aged gracefully. Um, no. Still, I think quality picture. I I enjoyed watching it. Quality uh, picture. Weird, yeah. weird movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's interesting. You know, like if if we look at Dawn of the Dead, the the Romero film, we're talking about how it offers us this sort of like exploration of the the imitation of life and the uh, the ways in which like capitalism uh, fails us. And then you look at this, and it is just an imitation of the film and nothing else. Um, it really uh, has uh, very little to offer beyond the aesthetic pleasures that it, that it gives you. Yeah. And in that way, it uh, is a, I don't want to say disappointing, but, but it's decidedly sort of, un-Romero. Yes. And it is an unsettling, there, there is an unsettling experience to it in uh, this very strange ending where the few survivors that make it through the film are, are for some reason just like mauled to death on this boat. And the movie just kind of has this fuck you attitude of like, well, no one survives. That's it. No <laughs> sequel, nothing. Everything you just watch is pointless because they all just fucking died. <laughs> right. I mean, as, as we said on the episode, if, if all you offer is the, the aesthetic pleasure, then the, the images are it they are the whole thing and so if what your images present uh are that then then what are we to do 
uh, other than just say, okay, and move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it makes our job, what we do here on this podcast, a little bit harder when like <laughs> they're, either the meaning is buried deep below or it's not there. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But then one year later, Romero comes back. He uh, he looks at the landscape and he sees that uh, these other people have been making my movies without me. It's time for me to to come back. And he makes his his sort of big budget blockbuster zombie film uh, with Universal, the same company that distributes Sean and Dawn. Uh, and he comes back with with Land of the Dead in 2005, uh, starring, you know, his first his first film with with name actors or his first zombie, zombie film, film with name actors, yeah. I should say. Um, he's got Dennis Hopper and John Leguizamo and uh, you know Simon Baker and Ozzy Argento and just this this great cast um, and uh, you know great great zombie effects uh, with you know a little bit of budget there. He's got Greg Nicotero taking over. Yeah. The cognitive dissonance there of suddenly seeing Romero working with a budget and suddenly seeing him working in the modern day, it's, uh, it's quite a trip. It's very wild. We're, we're so used to him at this point being like this entity of the 80s. And then all of a sudden his movie has that like very, very high contrast, uh, you know, super green, saturated style. And, uh, it's, it's something else. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we, that we went forward in time and, and saw this late career Romero stuff. Cause it is fucking strange. It's, it's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't seen Bruiser, which is the film he made in, uh, 2000. So his mm-hmm. before, before Bruiser, his last film is, uh, the dark half, which is a Stephen King adaptation. And he releases that in 1993. Wow. And it takes another seven years for him to make another film. And and Bruiser, um, from what I could see, is it's a it's a weird picture. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's about a a man who uh, wakes up and finds he has no face, and oh. uses the power of his of of not having a face to sort of wreak havoc on on people that have wronged him. Hmm. Um, and it's got a great cast. Like I I, I look forward to. To watching it but yeah that sounds cool yeah but it's so it's just so interesting that um you know he has almost a decade of making no films he makes this and then seemingly has to go away again and and it takes really what it takes is is snyder making a bunch of money for for universal on dawn of the dead for for him to be able to come back and be like i'm still here let me do this and uh, unfortunately, the movie that is a remake of his original film and the movie that is a satire of the genre that he created become way more significant and popular and uh, and <laughs> and successful, honestly, than Land of the Dead ever was and probably ever will be. I, I don't see that movie getting like a big critical reappraisal at this point or... Honestly, I mean, you never of, know, but yeah, that's true. It's just kind of tragic that, uh, and, and like ironic and just weird that those two guys basically made like send ups of, of Romero. And he's like, well, I, I can still make and, movies. And made their careers on it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like bo- both of them get pretty much like blank checks. I mean, maybe not blank checks, so, you know, for, for right. I don't think he's being offered like, you know, 
the largest budgets in Hollywood, but like yeah. their their careers begin properly because of these films, you know? Yeah. It's it's very wild. I, I, I know what you're about you what you were saying. You were sort of saying also that like you don't see um you don't see the next two films, Diary or Survival, getting uh that kind of critical uh reappraisal or redemption. Here's here's something I would posit to you. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's it's entirely possible that uh in like ten or twenty years even, um when the style of filmmaking and the style of acting has changed enough from when these films were made, it would be much easier to reappraise them. Because like, I think the performances in Night, Dawn and Day all really work. Like they all really work for me. They're thoroughly unmodern. That's true. You know? Yeah, that's very true. And, and I think uh, perhaps if I was around in, in 68 and I was watching Night of the Living Dead and I was watching it compared to other films being made at the exact same time, I might not be looking on, on those performances as favorably. Um, same being true of Dawn and Day, you know, but looking at them now in retrospect, they function perfectly for the film I'm watching. It's entirely <laughs> possible that someone, you know, 10 or 20 years from now might look at Diary or Survival and and have a similar reaction. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Um, weirder things have been been redeemed and reclaimed. I mean, yeah, I guess it is entirely possible that people will one day go through Romero's films and be like, well, why didn't these get any, you know, attention when everyone mm-hmm. else was making imitations of him? For some reason, it just doesn't seem likely that uh, they will look at these movies, but I guess they're not widely seen, um, right. which uh, maybe it will lead to in that, that, that could mean they would get discovered someday. But yeah, what about Survival of the Dead? That's uh, well, we, we've. I'm, I'm sorry, we, Diary yeah, of the so, Dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so after after Land of the Dead, where Romero once again takes a you know a cudgel to capitalism, um, <laughs> we we end up in in 2007, and so you know we we have uh, Romero rebooting his own series and uh, and switching up the medium. You know, going from uh, going from having made you know sort of traditional. Uh, filmmaking styles to to entering a a whole new thing with with a found footage uh framing device <laughs> and uh and and stylistic flair uh absolutely wild movie uh, yeah having a lot of fun with decision. it for sure <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean you know again it's it's romero looking looking at himself and sort of saying like i i, I had the big budget thing i tasted the um i tasted the the fruit of the poison tree and i I did not care for it. You know, I want to, I want to get out of the system as quickly as I got into it. And, uh, you know, plans on making the film for a quarter million dollars with, with film students. And, uh, <laughs> instead, you know, a company is like, what are you talking about? You're George Romero, uh, Art Fire Productions. Like you're George Romero. Like you need money to make this film. Here's money. Please, please make the film properly. <laughs> Um, and it's not much money, but it's enough that he can maintain full control over the film. Yes, and it is quite a found footage movie. It definitely comes from that era of the found footage boom. Um, it, for some reason, is not one of the ones that I hear mentioned when we're talking about that era. And all the while, like, it's fucking George Romero making a found footage movie. I mean, yeah. that would be, you know, if like, I mean, 
by the way that he is seen and like anytime I see any sort of roundup of like the greatest horror, he's always on that list. So like, you know, what if Wes Craven made a found footage movie or uh, any of like these very big horror director names? I, I, think I it feel like that would be very time. big. Yeah. Hit, yeah. I, I think if it had come out after Cloverfield, it could have ridden the wave that Cloverfield kind of begins, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think that's really, that is, it's, 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 it, I mean, the film just shows up too early. Like not only does it show up too early in the sense that like it comes out before the wave begins and therefore misses being part of the wave. Like it also quite simply like thematically is a little too, uh, he's just too soon with what he's trying to say with the film. So it's probably not resonating even the, the way that it, the way that it probably could and should, you know, that would be, that would be my assumption. That I could definitely see uh, 10, 20 years from now, a whole new era of appreciation for the found footage movement. Because I think at where we are right now, it's just so like passe, like, okay, like we get it. Like we've had like, you know, how many fucking paranormal activity movies (laughs) that I think it is a thing that uh, no one wants to touch. Mm -hmm. Um, Although... There are some really good uh, Zoom horror movies I'm, during I'm the pandemic. I'm really into really these, love these those. screen life films. Yeah, those um, are cool. I, I mean, you know, they're on the spreadsheet. Like there's a found footage series in our spreadsheet. <laughs> it's going to happen at some that point. That would be fun. Yeah, that's a great, that's a definitely great fall series to do mm-hmm. all found footage stuff. I'd love to do that. It's going to happen. Um, so then Romero makes his his last of the dead film and his last film uh in total uh in in 2000 yeah, and uh, it's kind of poetic <laughs> yeah in in 2009 he uh he makes survival of the dead you know by this point he's officially fully relocated to to canada and he is uh in you know immersed himself in the the canadian film scene and uh and he's making another one you know uh diary of the dead you know it, it crashes and burns the theater but it does well enough on home video that he can uh he can he can get another one made and uh he leaves the found footage behind and instead tries to um offer us a story uh, about perhaps uh you know a, a religious schism uh the na- the the duality uh, always present in american politics uh and just perhaps even the notion that, um, you know, the zombies uh, aren't done evolving, even if we are. And uh, he he really tries to pack a whole lot into this this film. Yeah, and I think he uh, he's also very interested in just war in this movie and the yes. effects of war. Um, and I will always now remember this series by this ending movie. And this uh, this weird, weirdly eerie ending note of Romero as a filmmaker of the legacy he leaves behind ends with this note of Romero kind of saying like, you know, this is going to continue like when I'm gone, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, all of these, these strifes that we have as humans continue into our death and then... He doesn't die right afterwards, but this is the last film he makes. And, yeah. uh, and he, and he dies while writing sequels to this. Yeah. And we should say we, we discussed that with uh, the great Sarah Welch Larson, uh, yes. champion. 
And we had a great time talking with uh, Trey Flynn uh, of the Extra Credits podcast for... For, for uh, Land of the Dead. Yes. And with uh, and a great time with, with Steve Goldberg and Sean Parker for uh, for mostly horror uh, for, for Diary. Yeah. And uh, I just want to briefly mention Twilight of the Dead, which is... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm still seeing articles about this. It's on Hollywood Reporter. On yeah, they April, said as recently as last year that the thing yeah, is still happening. April 30th, 2021, that uh, Romero's wife is is involved, his widow, and uh, developing the script. The story is set in a decimated world. Life has all but disappeared, but there still may be hope for humanity. Hope doesn't feel very Romero. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> uh <laughs> looking for the right director. And I, I will, I mean, I'm of course like totally stoked about that. I'm very interested to see if that is a movie that a, you know, will get made at all, but also mm-hmm. will this be a movie movie or will this be a movie that doesn't exist? Like, will this be straight to Goo Goo TV or like, <laughs> is this going to be made by like, you know, a heavyweight and have like a studio release. I, I really have no idea. I, I do not know what will happen with this. Um, the other thing that's going on is that there are more night of the living deads coming out. Um, <laughs> yes, there is a, there's a night of the living dead too, which I believe is, is already in production, um, or has already been shot. Um, and it, and it brings back Terry Alexander and, uh, and Laurie Cardle from, uh, from Day oh, of the really? Dead, yeah, uh, and Jarlath Conroy as well. Um, but wow. they're playing they're playing new characters. Um, yeah, how is it two? How is it a sequel? I mean, is it going to be like in the early seventies? Night of the Living Dead two. Um, Very weird. And the, the the premise of the film: desperately grasping for a semblance of normalcy in a post apocalyptic existence, a small island community faces an unimaginable terror that threatens everything it means to be human, and due to a weird twist of fate, we're not in contact anymore, but I know the filmmaker behind this, this movie. Um, this oh, really? is written and directed by a guy named uh, Marcus Slabine, who I met at a film festival, uh, you know, like years and years ago. And we maintained like a, a brief sort of social media relationship for a few years. Um, I have not, con- I've not, not spoken to him in any, any way in, in, in many years now, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild that this thing exists. It might be time to uh, get back in touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't see, how is it Night of the Living Dead 2? Like, is it going to be a follow-up to that story, but today? I don't know. I and mean, all look, this you, time you has can just passed. make Night of the Living Dead 2 if you want to. Yeah, I'm sure there's tons of them already, right? <laughs> well, there's there's the other one that was just announced at the American it Film Market. announced during our miniseries. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, very strange but it can happen and it will be so ironic if a major studio releases a night of the living dead movie or if twilight of the dead comes out you know from one of the big ones and uh all the while like nobody came out for romero's movies (laughs) yeah i mean that's show business this is this is the other thing you know like i think uh had romero wanted to make a had, had he had he lived long enough? Had he wanted to make a film for one of these streamers during the the period where they were spending money uh, like mad? Uh, yeah, 
I that would have been we, something. You know, yeah. we could have we could have had a, a Romero Twilight of the Dead uh, direct to one of these services. I would have, yeah, I would have been really interested to see what what the Romero Netflix movie would have been. You know, the carte blanche. We just want you here so we can say we did it. Yeah. Uh, we want the yeah. Romero cred. Yeah. He was strangely out of time, I guess, in that way. Like maybe this would have been the era for him. Maybe. And then we, then we, we were at the end uh, and we circled all the way back to 1985 to explore uh, the, the, uh, you know, kind of uh strange branching path uh that is the return of the living dead uh made by john a russo and uh and dan o'bannon right so uh romero's original creative partner he somehow wrangles some creative say in it and uh he makes his own sequel mm-hmm. and boy is it different <laughs> than the other <laughs> movies yes uh, what is it oh, the oh, dead oh. are back and they are and they're ready to party? They're back from the dead and they're ready to party. I mean, they aren't really though. Well, they're back from the grave and they're ready to party. I was going into the movie with that in mind, being like, "Is this going to be like zombies, but they're like cool and like punk <laughs> and like they want to like play the guitar and do cool shit?" It's they don't like at all. There, there is punk stuff and there is zombie stuff, and, yeah. and some of the zombies are punks but that's kind of where it ends. And the zombies don't want to party at all. They sure don't. Yeah. We should sue. Can you <laughs> sue for that sort of thing? That I don't know. <laughs> yes. That's all of them. That's, that's that all of is the, fall of the dead. That's full of the dead. Do, do you have a scene that you feel like tops it all off for you? I mean, there's no scene, but the, the ending of Night of the Living Dead. Couldn't agree more. The credits, which is crazy, yeah. but just this uh, gripping and gruesome sequence of uh, a man being essentially lynched right in the time of, you know, civil rights movement, uh, Martin Luther King getting assassinated right, you know, right at the right same time. This, yeah. yeah. It's a really, really... Uh, just grisly ending to a movie that's very unexpected, and it and it sets up the the point of view through which Romero will make the rest of these films. Yeah, you know, um, every every one of these movies is made in the same way. Um, it's pretty unforgettable. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, normally, like you know, I try to come into these wrap ups with a, a sort of write up of a new scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, there just isn't one. It's this. No, it's gotta um, be that. And I, and I and I won't bore our listeners with a with a rerun. Um, yeah. But it, it is this scene. All right, Vince, hit him in the head, right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. Before we uh, we fully spin out of here, uh, yeah. I did want to quickly bring up The Last of Us 
um, uh-huh. because I finished playing The Last of Us Part One, the the remaster of the game for the the PS Five. Did you um, have a new experience now with Romero in the mind? I I did and I didn't, um, and I think part of why is sort of like a larger conversation about um, the difference between what Romero does and what everyone what everyone else does, um, yeah. and. I think that the the notion of like the the first zombie, um, which is a thing that Romero uh, doesn't do. Romero does the slow zombies, which you know, as you know, Simon Pegg talks about that as being the sort of um, the most poetic uh, monster. You know, this this slow moving, lumbering, you know, uh, uh, thing that that you can in theory escape from, and 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 therefore like because you can escape from them they can represent something and you can, you can, you can always make a movie about uh, with zombies that are about something else. But I think stories that, that go the first zombie route above anything else, they all automatically become like horror survival uh, stories, which I think are markedly different from what Romero is doing. Hmm. And in that way, the, the stories that use fast zombies generally tend to become more about the uh, the characters in them. And Romero is not a particularly character-driven filmmaker, not really. And so these stories often give you great human drama and and a study of the the characters within them. But and they but and they put that before uh, thematic exploration. I would say generally, this is a big generalization, but that's just what I. That's just where my head is at at the moment. And so playing this game, which is a survival horror game, um, that is the genre of the game. Uh, I, I was trying to think like, you know, where is Romero in all of this? And I don't know that he is there. And that's okay. I think it, I think it fully is its own uh, completely different thing. Um, and I was talking with, uh, you know, often mentioned friend of the show, Nick Long. And, and he says to me, it's an existential action game. It's like, yeah, it is an existential action game. It is, uh, it's this thing and I, I, that I had said the last time we brought it up on the show that um, when you're, by the time you're halfway through, the, the, the thing it seems to be interested most in exploring is like the cost of survival. Yeah. But, but, but as the game continues, you begin to sort of realize it's also about like the point of surviving, like the, the meaning of that survival um, cause you play as Joel, who is this, and I'm full spoiler mode here, uh, yeah. you know, full spoilers for last of us is someone who, uh, is defined by this great loss. And because of this great loss, he doesn't really seem to value his own life very much. He's just plowing ahead to plow ahead. And he doesn't seem to value the lives of others very much either. And it allows him to commit these sort of great acts of violence that ensure his survival. Um, and it is only by, loving learning to love ellie and wanting for her to survive that his survival can gain any meaning whatsoever um so for me the the eye of the duck does have to be the end of the game and again to to quote nick um he said to me the meaning in joel's survival comes at the cost of deriving ellie of her meaning uh because he steals from her the opportunity to um to be the cure for the the uh the cordyceps uh virus hmm. um 
and of course uh you know that's that's the fallout of that is is what the second game is all about yeah the first time i played through the original game um i was actually really surprised i thought it felt like a kind of abrupt ending that like that's where it ends there's no final note that that he just does that and then they ride off it's yeah it's a wild Um, ending yeah and it's very bold and it's uh it's it's definitely a moment that you don't like soon stop thinking about um i'm really glad that there is a second game that explores the consequences of that decision um but it is kind of a horrifying notion that it ends on that like Mm -hmm. he kind of steals that, that meaning from her to, and and steals the cure from, from humanity. Oh yeah. I mean, that is especially terrifying, but that, that they can just ride off with that notion between them without Ellie. I mean, at that point, you know, you think that maybe she will never know. Mm hmm. Uh, it's quite scary. It may, may be the, the scariest thing in a very scary game. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I would agree that it is, there is not much Romero in it. Um, the cordyceps infected folks don't really resemble zombies all that much. No, they're, they're more strange um, mushroom monsters. Yeah, mushroom monsters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they are very scary and they are a very effective uh, They're villain. They're great. Yeah, um, the design is great. But I'm very interested to see if there will be any Romero in the TV series. Yes, I'm I'm very curious about that as well. Um, and if you'll let me say one last thing on Last yeah. of Us, um, I'm just going to give you my eye of the duck for part two as well. Okay. Uh, because we're here and we'll probably never talk about it again. Um, my eye of the duck for part two is an entirely different kind of duck scene that that really uh to me uh it it shows me the power of like exploring this narrative through a video game versus through just film or tv yeah. because in in a video game you hold the controller and even if the narrative itself is a little bit on rails like you you execute the narrative through your yes. physical action and uh Again, full spoilers here, but you know, there's a moment towards you know in in the in the final act of uh, of The Last of Us Part Two, which like is a game that's fully exploring sort of like you know the consequences of actions and like the cycles of violence that we perpetuate and uh, and and the the ways in which we we self harm through harming other others. All of these really amazing heady concepts, and you finally get to this point where you're ready to sort of like enact your like final revenge. And the game has, you know, done this like incredible like flip on its head where you've played as Ellie and you've played as Abby and then you come back to playing as Ellie. And by the time you get to, you know, you you, you could potentially like, you know, engage in this final fight, like I want to put the controller down. Yeah. You know, I want to put the controller down because I can't stop Ellie from doing what she's doing. And it's, I think that is the most incredible thing a video game has ever done for me, where mm-hmm. it has it has woven its narrative uh, so cohesively and so well that like, I want to put the game down because I don't want the thing that I know is going to happen next to happen next. And I, and yeah. I don't want, and I don't want to take part in being responsible for it. 
Yeah, there was a lot of contention about that moment and a lot of sort of dismissal that kind of bummed me out. You know, there's certainly valid criticisms of that game, I think, of of the amount of violence it uses and of the amount that it like beats you over the head with some mm-hmm. of those themes, but the dismissal of that moment as being like an easy moment for for the writers or developers of the game to employ that like oh, it's so easy to make you, to force you in a video game to do something you don't want to do. It's not easy at all. No, not at all. I think that is the part that people tend to miss, that like they crafted a story so fucking compelling and so like heart-wrenching that in that final moment, like you don't normally, you're not affected by a video game in that way that you want to put the controller down, that like you can feel like the slices of the knife. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's like, uh, and it's yeah, like, you, it's, you, you want to just like, like you put the controller down, the game's still on and you're just like staring at it in like suspended animation. Yeah. You have and, to, and yeah, yeah, they don't and, let you not do it. Yeah. And in that moment you have to like confront all of it. It's, it's amazing. Like I, I, I think yeah. it is, it's, it's truly for me personally, like the most powerful thing I've ever experienced while playing a video game. I mean, it certainly brings you to a realization and it's using the, the medium of games that, you know, exactly this interactive medium to make you feel this, this, uh, this realization in a way that only video games can. And yeah, that's a fantastic moment. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do I Have the Duck episodes on both of those games. (laughs) Maybe one day. Yeah. It could be interesting. Do, do you have a, a favorite kill from all of these that you want to you want to claim here or, or do we want to just wrap it up? You know, one kill that I think is very underrated and that mm-hmm. you probably won't expect me to say here, but one that I think about a lot still is the uh, it's like a hydrochloric acid or something in uh, in Diary of the Dead. I believe. Yes, that kill rules. Yeah, that. um some acid is thrown on the face of a zombie and there are a few cuts, so it's not seamless, but, um, in one sequence, this zombie's face like melts off to the core and it's really, really, uh, it's a good kill. <laughs> it's exceptionally well done. It's, it's, yeah. it's really, really cool. What about um, you? I, I think my favorite kill is in uh, Day of the Dead, uh, and it's the it's the kill where they they get Rhodes, um, who is like very much like the villain, um, the villain at the base, or at least one of them. And uh, this is the kill where he is just like swarmed by zombies, and they they just pull his whole body apart, and yeah. he like screams, and like you know his guts are like coming out, and he's you know bleeding out of his mouth, and like you know joseph palato plays that that role he's been so huge the whole movie yeah and like now he's being that huge while he's dying and this crazy effect is happening to him and like it just it like makes it just all works so well uh and it's so gruesome and so violent and so horrible uh, and I, and I love it. And, and especially knowing how it was done, it's one of the most disgusting things that Romero <laughs> ever did or ever put someone through. And so, uh, I tip my hat to it for that reason. And I tip my hat to Joe Pilato. Um, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I hope you're okay. It's really upsetting. In almost every one of these movies, there is that moment where someone just gets 
torn completely apart. Yeah. Especially uh, coming out of like the, the belly, any of the organs coming out of the belly are really, it tips the scale. Right. Yeah. Um, there's like a similar moment in, in Shaun of the Dead where, uh, Oh yeah, that's a great where, kill. Where David yeah. gets killed kind of the same way and it's, yeah. it's so good. All right. It's time. Enough of the dead. Yes. Which means we got something new up our sleeves. Mm-hmm. We could probably just put the music in. Yeah. Know that you need to sing it. (laughs) We are going uh, completely in the opposite direction. A little little palate cleanser, if you will. Yeah. We've led you all into uh, these terrifying, disgusting territories, these cemeteries of dead. And now we are uh, reversing full speed into the land of our childhood, <laughs> of, uh, of Andy and the gang. We literally grew up with these films. With these characters, with, with Buzz, with Woody, with Rex. Bo yes. Peep, Mr. Potato Head. All our old friends Slink. are coming back for uh, To Infinity and Beyond, our... Uh, upcoming Toy Story series, which will take us through basically, uh, let's see, it will we'll, take we'll, us through we'll, almost through the end of January almost. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be covering 1995's Toy Story, 1999's Toy Story 2, 2010's Toy Story 3, 2019's Toy Story 4, uh, and 2022. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And 2022's Lightyear, um, as well as one other as yet to be announced secret bonus. Yes. What could it be? It will be, uh, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, Christmas, the holidays are coming up. It's time to talk you about some presents. Toys. There's toys in there. Yes. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk toy. And I am so excited uh, just because I think that, you know, for any of our listeners who are around the age of, you know, 30, 31, 32, 33, or a little bit younger too, like we are in this very unique place of like being mm-hmm. little kids when Andy Be- was a little kid. Andy. Yeah. Like that is so great. I mean, we're so fucking lucky. Our generation yeah. This happens from time to time, you know, whenever, whenever there's like Happened a long with the, with the franchise as well. Yeah. With Harry Potter, the same thing, like how fun it is to grow up with the characters of a series and especially for Toy Story, because that this whole series about nostalgia and about losing your youth when later mm-hmm. on in the series, it's I so heartbreaking. Wait. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to go through these movies again. I haven't seen the original in so long. So, oh, well, Man, I got, I got I'm good so news pumped. for you and our listeners. Uh, they all hold up. Um, I can't wait. They're all good. Um, be, 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 it's going to be a good time. And I will say you can stream, uh, all of these films with a subscription to Disney plus, or you can buy or rent them from your favorite video on demand platform. These things are uh, not hard to find. <laughs> and I'm sure, what, what, is there a, uh, is there a, um, definitive, like limited edition 4k Blu-ray box set of, of the four of the quadrilogy? There probably is. I do not have that one. 
Um, mm-hmm. I have the individual 4K steelbooks that uh, that Disney released for for all of them. Um, and the the first three, the uh, the Andy trilogy, if you will, <laughs> uh, have really wonderful uh, illustrations on the cover. And uh, Toy Story Four uh, just has art from the movie. <laughs> Well, because it's because Toy Story 4 begins the Forky saga. Oh, yes. And you think Forky will return? Oh, I think Forky will definitely return. Forky has already returned to his own series on uh, Disney Plus. Forky asks a question. <laughs> but uh, Toy Story 5, you think you will return for Toy Story 5? I think we'll get we'll get a 5 and I think it'll be all Forky all the time. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to talk about Toy Story. <laughs> Me too. It's going to be it's great. Like the complete opposite of Romero, but <laughs> as always, we're trying to figure out what our, what our listeners want from us. What do you want from us? Tell us, <laughs> Please tell us tell what us. you want from us. I know you want Predator, I've heard, but, but what else do you want? Let us know. And when I say let us know, I mean that we want to hear from you. Thank you all for listening. Tell us about your Eye of the Duck scenes. You can find us on all social media at Eye of the Duck pod email us at contact listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts if you'd like to support the show the best way to do so is to rate and review us on apple Podcasts or spotify or better yet share the show with a friend it really does help you can find me on twitter at dominic nero if twitter still is a thing when this episode comes out we'll see <laughs> or on my website at dominero.com and you can find me on social media at Adam Vol. That's V O L E. And you can watch my films online at adamvolerich.com. That's V O L E R I C H. Our intro music is pulled from the Goblin soundtrack for Dawn of the Dead, as well as the archival music used in Night of the Living Dead, with some dialogue cues pulled from various of the Dead films. The music you're hearing right now is from the John Harrison score for Day of the Dead. Our logo was designed by Francesca Volrich. You can purchase her work at slash shop. This episode was edited by Eric Gunnison. Thank you, Eric. And special thanks to Parth Marate for providing research for this episode. And for the whole series, both you, Parth, and Eric. Everybody who helps out on Eye of the Duck. Yes. Thank you to our, our living dead companions. Yes. Uh, we're very grateful. Next week, Toy Story, which you can stream with a subscription to Disney+, or you can rent or buy from your favorite video on demand platform. And the next time you watch a movie, remember to keep your eye on the duck. All right, man. Hit him in the head. Right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye of the Duck early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.